The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Praise the Lord, people of God. Will you stand to your feet and just give God glory? Sometimes I just don't like coming up after some announcements. I want to worship God because I don't know about you, but I lost some power this week. And there's somebody that got some kind of different power that won't ever shut off. No, MLGW won't be ready. I felt some type of way when I had to go sleep at somebody else's house. I knew that I needed the Lord because in my heart of hearts, Lord, I know that God is a God who won't ever leave us nor forsake us. Will you, will you shout glory? Will you say he'll do it? Have your seat. Have your seat. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time because we're worshiping you and you alone, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to understand that this moment is not about us individually, but it's about what you're doing through us at Downtown Church. And I pray, God, that you hear, I mean, that your people hear your word and they don't hear Michael Davis. Hide me, Lord Jesus, beneath your cross. Allow your preach word to be one that enters the hearts and the minds of your people. Someone here who doesn't care about you, who doesn't know you, who doesn't want to know you, is sitting here. I ask that you pierce their hearts. Lord, I ask that transformation happens this morning. And Lord, those who are down and downcasted and distracted or, or even disgusted at some things about the church. I pray that you do some healing this morning through your word, God, uh, through the testimony of John the Baptist, Lord Jesus. And those, God, who are here that didn't just have their power shut off, but lost some things. And God, that, that their home may be destroyed or some property of theirs may be destroyed. Even thinking about Lisa, who her car was destroyed, Lord God. She made it here this morning because there was no other place to be but in the house of the Lord. So I pray that your word encourages their hearts, God, for your glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people say together. Amen. Give me one moment to get myself together. All right, all right. Hey, we will find ourselves back in, uh, back in the Gospel of John. And just so you may know, uh, John the Baptist is not the writer of John's Gospel. John of Zebedee, if you, if you came to Artez's uh, ordination, you know that brother broke down all of the disciples, all of the books of the Bible. And so he reminded me that John, the gospel writer, is not the same as John the Baptist. Um, and it is important to know that because you have to ask yourself then, why is John writing the way that he's writing? And who is he writing to in terms of his, his audience? Uh, and you've heard preachers over the last couple of weeks articulate that God, that John is trying to speak to people who do not believe in the gospel, do not believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ was solidified in Jesus, um, the human and both and God. But yet John is making it clear that there was a man who witnessed and testified about the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he came before Christ in order to proclaim the one who is to come. 
And so we find ourselves uh, right there in John chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll read all the way to 36. Hear the word of the Lord. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Won't y'all say that with me? I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, he answered, no. He said, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent uh, from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who do who one you do not know. Even he who can who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward them, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes away, who comes to take away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it came on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that, it, that this is the Son of God. This is the very word of the Lord. So as we find ourselves right here in this text uh, it, it is not lost on me that it is Black History Month. Just as much as we have characterized John as a forerunner, how many of you know that there were forerunners that have gone before us? The reason that I can stand here in, in my own skin, some of y'all might not know, I'm a black man. I'm extra chocolate at that. That there were things that could not happen for me because of the color of my skin. And it reminds me that Black History Month is our collective identity as a people because there were the ones who paved the way in order for us to have resources and not be rejected and have a livelihood that, for, that would mean we would be equal amongst others. We know the challenges and the sacrifices that have taken place. Therefore, we can't overlook 
those sacrifices. I mean, we can't overlook the fact that we don't have segregated schools. We can't overlook the fact that our societal infrastructure, has, which is being perpetually challenged, has shifted over, cha- over time. Our social status has been, and, and social issues have consistently been in front of us if you've been watching any kind of news or if you've been aware of the ills that have been going on. This has been going on for a very long time. And so it's not lost on me, and I think it shouldn't be lost on us, that there had to be many who would sacrifice in order for us all to be in this same room. In order for us to come under the mission and the vision of this church in which we want a gospel that unifies us, that calls us a family, no matter the pedigree, no matter how much cheddar you got in your pocket, no matter where you come from, no matter what your name is. And that is important because the reality is beyond those forerunners, there was one who came to level the playing field for us all. That right there in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, he, he let us know that all of us have inherent dignity, worth, and value. If I were to say it like Jesse Jackson in his theology, I am somebody. And that means that many of us we don't have to be wary about, worried about the immense cost that we would have, that our forerunners would have had for the future that we have now. But we still need to fight. We still need to be aware. And we still need to be a witness. That's what we find John, who this morning is a witness. Many of us know him as John the Baptist. But if you would read this, you would say he's John the testifier. He's John the witness. He's John the proclaimer. That's who he is. That's what God has instilled in him and given him the mission to do. And he's deliberate in everything that he is doing. And so as he testifies about what is to come, the transformative work that is is to come uh, and pave the way, John seems crazy to some folks. I mean, John was one who was wearing unique clothing, one that, that, that stood out so much that people were asking, why are you doing what you're doing? He attracted an enormous amount of attention from Jewish people because he finds himself out in the wilderness preaching and eating things that he shouldn't be eating necessarily. And he finds himself also preaching about what is to come resembling this prophet. But he doesn't look like what people thought a Messiah would look like. And I think that if we were to say at the heart of this text, the problem that they're having is the same problem that we're having. Sometimes what God is doing, we're so deliberate in ignoring him, we don't see him until something crazy happens, until our power shut off, until the doctor calls us and say there's a diagnosis for your child, or there's a diagnosis that we've seen in the hospital. Then we start, our eyes begin to to open wide open, we begin to testify a little bit differently because things are not okay. And John is saying things have not been okay. And I'm here to witness about the one who is going to make all things okay. So this morning, I think that many of us who've asked the question of what is my life? Does it have meaning? Does it have purpose? My big idea this morning that I want you to, to conceptualize in one thought that your meaning and purpose, God gives it to you. But he doesn't give it to you so that you can show out for yourself. He gives it to you so that you may be a witness of his grace and his mercy. God does not 
give you meaning and purpose for yourself. He gives you meaning and purpose so that you may be a witness to him. How do you do it? You confess, you accept, and you give. I'm going to flesh this out, but I want to look at it scene by scene. When you look at what John is talking about right here in chapter 19, you got to ask yourself, why does he confess that he's not the Christ? I remember being in seminary, and I was in Hebrew class, and that's when I knew I wasn't Jesus. Because I was like, I don't even know what I'm reading. But no, our professor, Jay Scalar, who's a profound Canadian man, he said, I want everybody to stand up. It was 50 of us in the classroom. He said, I want every last one of you to stand up and proclaim that I am not the Christ. And the purpose in doing that was that everyone came trying to show off what they already knew. See, some of y'all you may think seminarians or, or those that, that, that want to be pastors, they, they go into the, the seminary humble. No, they don't. They go in prideful, thinking they know a whole lot. And what he was doing was trying to show them that you don't need to make this about the A that you want to get in class. You need to get to know God through his word. And so what John says, he said, the witnesses of the priests and the Levite, those that came and were sent by the Sanhedrin council to, to find out why is he preaching about repentance and, baptize, and baptizing folks and telling them that, that somebody's coming. Remember, there's been 400 years, 400 years of silence. The last time they heard that somebody was coming, Malachi 4 and 5, you see the word Malachi prophesied that after this, you will hear someone proclaiming about God coming. So they, they, they were waiting for someone to, to talk about who was coming. Also, there were fake messiahs, people walking around acting as if they were Jesus and proclaiming that they were somebody that they were not. See, the Bible oftentimes tells us who we are, but we have to also remind, us, be remember, remind ourselves that the Bible also tells us who we are not. Many of us walk around wanting to be something that we're not, and sometimes we get humbled in ways when we find out that our accomplishments, that our looks, that our, our, our money, our resources, our, our inheritance, the things that we feel as if we bring to the table, our privileges, that, 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 that they, they make us who we are. If I, if I pull up in a, in a, in a S-Class CS something Mercedes, or if I, if I pull up in a Rolls Royce, it, it tell you my status. If, if I, I'm not, I might be humble. I, I ain't even got to pull up in something like that. But, 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 but I'm, the, I'm the CEO of a corporation or I am in a position of influence. Many of us rely on that. In fact, we confess that we are. And what John helps us to see is that there are positions in life sometimes that people may mistaken you from, mistaken you for, and you need to profess that that is not you. Because you may say, well, John is talking about he's not Christ. But, but if we were to take what John is actually saying, we, we can actually apply that in a way to where there are times for us where we think we are God. We, we, we think that we have the answers to every situation. When's the last time when someone asked you, I mean, asked you a question and you were so confounded that you said, you know what, I'm not Jesus, but baby, can I pray for you? When's the last time that you confess that I don't have it all together? I don't, my family, I'm not the best parent. A lot of y'all left the parenting meeting like, I got some work to do. 
I'm not the best parent. I'm not the best father. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best boyfriend. I'm not the best girlfriend. I'm not the best employee. How many times do you say that about where you are? I want you to look at what what John says. He says, I am not the Christ. So the priests and the Levites are confused because they say, well, are you Elijah? Because remember, Elijah, he didn't die on earth. He was taken up to heaven. So they would say their expectation was for Elijah just to come back in the flesh and proclaim the goodness of Jesus and and make way as the forerunner for him coming. And he's like, no, I'm not not Elijah either. They said, well, are you one of the prophets? He said, no, I'm I'm not one of the prophets either. Even though that I I may seem as if I look like one, that's not me. Uh, They said, well, we got to give an answer to the folks that sent us. Because they need to know who you are. He said, well, let me tell you who I am. When you look at verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, quoting Isaiah, uh, chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, where he said that the prophet would come building the road, making the highway, constructing a way forward in order for many to talk about the one that is to come. So the emphatic I am not the Christ reinforces the fact that he is testifying about the one to come. And it also says that God is not found in the work that John is doing. And John the writer, the, op, the, the apostle John, is also testifying to the fact that, wait a minute, he's testifying about the light to come. You remember in chapter 6 where he says that I'm telling you about the light to come in a dark world. So he said, not in chapter 6, in in verse 6. So then what he testifies is about the scripture, about the work, about the word, and the life of John the Baptist. Jesus is found there. If you keep reading your Bible, you'll find him if if you've never found him before. If you're lost and you're you're stuck in some ways, if, if you just look for the works of God, This morning, I I, I hugged Lisa, and she testified about when I was driving. Three could have failed and took me out, but it just took the object out, not the child of God out. I I don't know if that makes some of y'all happy this morning, but there are some things that God came to rescue us from, which is sin, sickness, and affliction, which can take many of us out if we don't know him. But he's saying, I ain't going to take you out. I'm going to take the thing that actually is afflicting you out, and it's called death, which I'm going to tell Paul, who preached about it, it lost its sting. You ain't got to fear it no more. I'm telling you because I got it all worked out for you. I'm testifying about it because Jesus is the one that gives you life far more abundantly. Oh, life, life is not caught up in, in making sure that our houses look good. Life is not caught up in making sure that we got it all together. Some of us need to come in and we have to admit that I ain't got it together. We have to confess what we are not. Beloved, I believe if the church does more of confessing what it's not, the church actually would be more more willing to engage the community who's been hurt by the church. Because, see, our our vulnerabilities don't come out when we always try to make it seem like we got all the answers. The the church can't make make it seem like we just some holy rollers, that we extra sanctified, that our boo-boo don't stink. 
that every aspect of our lives is so well put together that nobody around us can see any of the foolishness in our hearts and our minds. But if we were to admit that sometimes I don't like my children, if we were to, if we were to admit I, I, sometimes I struggle because I want to walk away from my family, if we were to admit, sometimes I just want to make sure that don't nobody know where I am or who I am, so sometimes I think I want to take my life. If we were to admit, last night I, I, I tipped that bottle just a couple more times because I was trying to lose myself because of the things that I'm struggling with in my mind, in my heart. If we were to admit some of these things, beloved, I believe we won't come in here pretentious. I don't believe that we will come in here touting our privilege. I don't believe that we will come in here making sure people knew what university we went to or making sure that people knew what kind of degrees we had. We, we wouldn't come in with that kind of mentality. We would come in, beloved, humble, knowing that we're testifying about someone who's done the work before us. Many of us have been asked the question of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, you know, if you've, however you answered that question, some people, I remember it was a brother named Hakeem in my class. He said, I want to be the president of the United States. I was like, wow. I just want to, I just want to get out of school. <laughs> but some of us do have aspirations. Many of us go into our annual reviews or evaluations and we're asked by our evaluator, what are, your net, what are the next five to ten, ten years look like, you for, look like for you in this company? Where do you want to be at and where do you want to grow? And sometimes the challenge for all of us to evaluate, we evaluate ourselves by giving ourselves meaning and purpose as to how we answer those questions which then we begin to identify ourselves as that. Where, it, where many of us heard, like, you need to find our identity in Christ. And if, if I'm saying, okay, yeah, we find our identity in Christ, what does that even look like? What, what does it look like to go to the Bible and find out who I am? Discover what God says about me. Sometimes it's so based that God says that you are a beloved child of God. Okay, so then, Mike, you telling me I'm, I'm, a, I'm a beloved child of God, but I want to define myself by what I'm going to look like in the next five or ten years. I want to define myself by the accomplishments that I made. I want to define myself because I came out of this high school or I came out of this college. I want to define myself because I matriculated and became this individual in this particular situation or I got myself out of poverty and I, I, because my family was in abject poverty, but I ain't there no more. So I want to define myself about what I am not in that way. I want to encourage you to, if you believe that you're a child of God, how about you define yourself by the fruits of the Spirit? How about you define yourself by the fact that you are a kind person, one that is gentle, that hospitable when you open your home? 
How about you define yourself, church, by, by, by saying that I'm, I'm one that, that would confess that I want to bring peace and joy into every situation that I enter into. So I got to change my countenance at times because I walk into situations and I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, 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 pessimistic about how I walk into situations or I'm overly optimistic. And so my head, I, I'm not even thinking or aware of the issues around me. See, they're both on both ends of the spectrum, whether you're overly optimistic or whether you're overly pessimistic, you lose the fact that what you are is a child of God and not just what you desire to be in the next five to ten years or how you characterize yourself. See, parents, we struggle sometimes because we say, my child ain't going to be like. But what if they come out a fool? Does it say anything about you? Does it say that you're not good enough, that you're, that you're a bad parent? What if your spouse leaves you? Everybody thought your marriage was together and your spouse walks out on you. What then? What do you say about yourself? See, the, the fad in which we are not, we need to have Instagram, little, little, you know, what's the, what's the thing in the Instagram, the little bio, and it need to say, I ain't this. Because in our Instagram pictures, in our bios, in our Facebooks, in every TikTok or whatever it is, and I'm talking to the young folks. I've been hanging out with the young people the past couple of weeks. Sir Gregory, been been a great you past, and I've just been sitting in there with them. But what I'm learning is that if you define yourself by those things that you put on social media or that you just want people to see in the Memphis Business Journal or you want people to see in the, in the Daily Memphian, then you know what's going to happen? As soon as that crumbles, who are you? I believe the Bible says that we need to find our, our faith and our identity on a firm foundation. And so John has confessed, and now he, he even accepts the fact that, you know, confessing, this ain't who I am. I'm not the Christ. I want to accept the fact of who God has made me to be. Church, we need to accept the fact of who God has made us to be. This is what is in the next couple verses. As he said, I've come to construct a path. I've come to make a way straight. I've come to talk about the one who is to come. What he's saying is, my job is to baptize now. Look, look at verse 24. Verse 24, look what he says. I mean, 25, look what he says. They ask, I mean, look what they ask him. Well, well, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or nor Elijah nor the prophets? And John answered, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. And he uses this idiom. And the idiom is, the strap of whose sandal... I am not worthy to untie. Many of you laugh when pastors have an armor barrel. But when I was doing my research, I was like, oh, I see why pastors had an armor barrel. Because rabbis had disciples. <laughs> it's funny to me. It may not be funny. Yeah. But he uses this idiom, seriously, because rabbis, when you think about Jewish life, they actually shaped the life of people. Not only spiritually, but the way they viewed the world, etc. And so disciples, like Jesus' disciples, they, what did they do? Remember, they went and they made sure that he had accommodations. They went ahead of time. Disciples would go before. Disciples would take care of things in order for the rabbi to actually teach. But, 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 there's, but also rabbis had bond servants. And bond servants, their job was the ones that would take the sandals or the shoes of the rabbi, and they would hold them. So what John the Baptist is saying, he says, I'm not a disciple. Y'all think I'm Elijah. Y'all think I'm the Christ. Y'all think I'm a prophet. I'm neither of those, nor am I a disciple. 
nor am I a bond servant. I'm, I'm the lowest thing on the totem pole. Why does he do that? He makes sure that they understand that the, that the glory that is going to stand before them that they are not aware of yet, that they too should have the same level of humility to understand that when Jesus comes into their world, into their space, they're not even worthy to be standing in his presence. We too, beloved, need to understand that our lives are ones that actually says that we are not worthy of what God brings to us so graciously. And we need to be witnesses of that. See, here's the thing. The Bible says, John 15, that apart from Jesus, we can do what? Nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. So I'm saying you're a child of God, won't you bear fruit? But if you're not doing it a part of Jesus, how can you then bear good fruit? Yes, we do have common grace, but I am talking about being intentional with living out what it means to be a child of the living God. And then not only that, beloved, I want you, I want you to understand that the, that the psalmist in Psalm 1, one of my favorite, favorite psalms, it says, if you are living, if you are attached by what, a stream of water, what are you going to do? Produce fruit. Time and time. Again, some of y'all are saying, I'm stuck in the rut. What do I need to do? I'm frustrated with my job. I'm frustrated with my life. I, I don't have no sense of meaning. I don't have any sense of purpose. I'm upset with my parents because they're getting on my nerves. They're telling me what to do. They're trying to rule my life. But when I want to, I want to encourage you that God gives you wisdom. He gives you direction. He gives you knowledge and understanding. As long as you stay as a tree planted next to him because the next thing says is that if we're not planted next to God, we're like chaff, root, rootless. We're everywhere, blown and tossed by every wind of doctrine or anything that tells us who we are. So, so when we talk about gender dysphoria, when we talk about issues of sexuality, when we talk about matters in which we're dealing with identity struggles, what, what some people are walking away from the faith that are saying that, I, you know, my identity is tied to my ethnicity, so it's very ethnocentric. See, the reality is you're tossed by every single thing that comes your way, but you don't realize what you are not. Accept who God has made you to be, church. Accept your role. Because when we understand that our role is not to be the one that is, that is actually the, the baptizing with the fire or the one that is actually bringing salvation, what happens is we understand that we got to give credit to where credit is due. And this is what happens after the next couple verses. Because John says, I'm not worthy to do this. But then the next day, verse 29, everybody say the next day. Y'all not with me. Y'all not even awake this morning. He said the next day, Jesus, they, he said the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My goodness. They, when he says he doesn't know, he didn't know who Jesus was until he arrived because the dove descended on him. It, I just, I'm, I'm trying to enter into the mind of John the Baptist, one who is proclaiming about somebody that's coming, but he don't know who it is. 
he's giving credit to Jesus, but, but or to the one that has come, but, but he don't even know what he looked like. What that says to us, beloved, many of us are searching. And Jesus sounds good, and we're in some kind of nominal Christian kind of, kind of deal. We know Jesus came to take care of the sins of the world, and that means that I got I to gotta live for him. So I, I got to do what my parents say I need to do. I need, I need to follow instructions. I need to obey a little better. I need to love my wife, or I, I, need, I need to be a, a better employee. I, everything is about you being better. John doesn't say that. John, the witness, is actually saying that I don't even know him. But, but, but he's right here. And the only way I know him is because God has shown me him. So then I begin to think about that just a little bit more. How do we know God? Do we know God merely because we have uh, just know that it's okay to go to church? that we move to a different city, some of us, and we just kind of come and we're like, this is what I'm supposed to do? Uh, do we know God because, you know, our parents are telling us that we need to know him, that, 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 that we just need to come to church and we need to listen and we need to... Do we know God because we've searched him out for ourselves? That we've listened to the scriptures. We've listened to the preached word. We've meditated on them day and night. That they've been the very things that abided in our hearts. And changed our minds. When our minds are thinking in corrupt ways, what do you think transforms our minds? Sir Gregory was doing a great job the other day because he was teaching the kids Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Um, parents, if, you, if your child asks you what it is, then they're asking you to quote it because they want to see if you memorized it. But one question was going around is, you know, how are you conforming to the world? And so I begin to think about how each child comes from a different school. Children spend more, most of their time where? In the school. Besides these past couple of days. And so their minds are shaped by the environment they're in. As much as our homes are supposed to be that place, they spend a lot of their time in school. And so their friends, their teachers, the things around them shape the way they view life in the world. So then I, I begin to think, and we just talk, and it's like, you can be conformed by some of the sexual issues that will be talk, talking about regarding one's identity at the school. You can be conformed by uh, some of the athletes or the teams that you're around when you're at the school. You can be conformed by so many different ideas in which these children and teachers and the school environment is shaping you. But what's supposed to Not because of your own personal salvation, beloved. God took the sins of the world. He came for a people saved a people, made sure that we didn't just have personal salvation, but he saved us from something to something for a reason and a purpose. I want to close by sharing my testimony. I was impacted as I was studying for this scripture because this passage, my, primarily because I had to think about my life. 
I remember when I used to work as, uh, as a janitor. When I, became, when I came to know, know Christ, uh, I had somebody laughing. You're laughing. I, I, I used to clean toilets. I used to clean toilets. See, y'all don't know where I used to be at. But God had, had taken over my life. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. So in order to know how to live and, and walk, I, I struggled, to be completely honest. I failed time and time again. I didn't get the, the conversation when I was growing up of, hey, this is how you live as a Christian. I got, hey, this is how you have sex uh, the right way. This is, a, you know, you, you, this is what you should be drinking. You know, you probably want to drink this. You got a car now, so you probably should be thinking this way. <laughs> So, so when I became a believer, everything was completely drastic for me. It's like, yo, I can't, I can't, I can't do all of that. I, I, I got to be around. I had no friends that knew the Lord. And so going back to fast forward, and I, I was just zealous for Jesus. And by his grace, he just protected me. I, I would say I was very legalistic in ways, right? But I seen the work of God, not just in my life. One day, a man was asking me. See, I was, I was so saved, I had the King James Bible. That's how saved I was. You couldn't read no other translation, right? Message, that wasn't real. That wasn't the Bible. Thank God that I went to seminary. Um, but I, I, I was one brother that was working with me, and we were cleaning and whatnot. I can't remember directly why we got to this conversation, but I began to share the gospel with him. I was witnessing to him. Right. I was talking. And this is why I always say the gospel isn't just some abstract thing. I don't believe that. I believe the gospel works and transforms right there. He was addicted to crack. I'm 17, probably 18 years old. He's addicted to crack, y'all. He's older than me, everything. I began to talk to him. I'm like, listen, man, this is the power of the gospel, and this is what Jesus did on the cross, and I'm breaking the gospel down to him. I'm, I'm telling him about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we're sitting there, supposed to be on break, but we're, we, take, we took more than our break at that time, and I'm reading the passages of scriptures, and I'm seeing tears come down his eyes, and I'm, see, I, I'm seeing the work of God transform somebody right there before my eyes. That ain't the first time I've seen that. It wasn't the last time that I seen it. And so when I'm testifying to you, beloved, is that when God, the reason I'm so convicted that God is real, that Jesus was both man and God, and that he died on a cross, and that he'll call Golgotha, he did it for me, you, and the entire world. And the sins that he was wiping away just wasn't so that I would come and just be okay. It was so that I would share who he is amongst the people of God and be connected to the people of God. But then what God said is, as long as you keep testifying about me, you ain't got to do it right. You don't have to have creation, fall, redemption, and consummation in your mind. You ain't got to have the best systematic theology. You ain't got to have your MDF. You don't have to have all of these things in order to make sure that people understand the power and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I just want to testify to you this morning. I wasn't the, I wasn't the, uh, the ideal case for coming to Jesus Christ. 
Christ. But I know that the work still works. That blood, it still works. It still flows all the way from the cross. It still works in your life. It changes us. And many of us who've walked in darkness for so long, who've had clouds over our heads, who's still fighting for what meaning and purpose is, I want to tell you, I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how good you got it together. If you don't trust in the work of God, I'm telling you, you will be walking around in darkness for your entire life. I know about darkness. Some of y'all know about darkness. Artez asked me the other day, can you just walk by my house, go by my house and see if the power's on? I said, yeah, brother, I'm going to go by your house and see if the power's on. We were heading home probably about one in the morning because our power had just came back home, came back on. And I drive on to his street. And let me tell you something. I hadn't felt the presence of darkness like that in a very long time. And when I drove on that street, the Holy Ghost said, turn around. I ain't even need him to say that because I thought I was on I Am Legend. Beloved, here's the, here's the thing. I kid you not. I'm telling you, if, you keep, if we keep walking in darkness, if we don't trust in that marvelous light, we will be stuck in a way in which when we come to this table this morning, we won't get ourselves out of those, out of those hard circumstances. We need God to work on our minds. We need God to work on our hearts. We need God to change us every single day, all the time. We need him to sanctify us. Why? Because he said at his appearance, the restored image will look just like him. I'm glad that I'm at a church where we're all coming from different walks of life. Because what I want us to do is learn about every single walk of life. If you think you got your stuff together, I want you to ask somebody else. If you, if you think you don't have your stuff together, share your testimony. Don't allow this time to confess only about what you think you are. Confess about what you're not. Accept who God has called us to be and give credit to what credit is due. Father, we love you and we thank you because we know that this table is yours. And as we come to this table, Lord, it is one that reminds us of your faithfulness. It reminds that reminds us, Lord, of how you consistently took away all of the sin and all of the pain that affected all of us. And Father, I pray that we, f we walk in that power. We trust in your glory. And Father, we always confess that we're witnesses of the living God. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Shout glory. Shout glory. Shout glory. Let me just share a quick testimony with y'all. A couple weeks ago, y'all know I had, no, a couple months ago, y'all know we had our third son, Titus. And uh, we got the call right before Christmas that he might have cystic fibrosis. And so... Uh, we were panicking because we didn't know what, what was going, going to happen. The staff knew, and et cetera. And so we go into the doctor's office on the 16th, I think, or the 14th of January. And she show us the numbers of where he, wa where he is. And his numbers are over. But, you know, this is where you testify. When they say, we don't see any more signs of mutation. God, hallelujah. Hey, God, hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus. Just when I was crying, my wife was crying. We were sad. We didn't know what to happen. We would God give us.
us what we need, Lord. Dad, give us what we need, but he worked. We don't know what happened. We don't know anything, but the fact that we can have our child and not have these issues, it is glory be to God. We, whatever other issues may come, it ain't like won't no more come. See what I'm saying? It ain't like I, I may talk about something that's good, but I'm telling you how good he is no matter the situation. Seated on majesty, uh, on, in, in majesty. He is victor, victorious. He is the one that has conquered death. Every disease, every sickness, I'm telling you what I know and what I've experienced. I'm not telling you something that's just a figment of my imagination. Oh, God, hallelujah. So when you leave this place, testify, because I show enough will. I dance a little bit. Hey, God, hallelujah. So we're going to tell you, I shouted. You see the benediction, confessing, accepting, and giving God all the glory because you're witnesses and have meaning and purpose in life. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say together, go in peace, stack your chairs. Hallelujah.